Hey there, Discerning ThoughtBot podcast listener. I just wanted to take a quick moment to ask for your feedback. There's so many cool things that we'd love to do with all the shows and want to know how you feel about our sponsor reads and the possibility of starting a Patreon-style campaign to make them all possible. If you could head over to tbot.io slash survey for a super short questionnaire, your input would be much appreciated. That link again is tbot.io slash survey. And hey, thanks. Hello. Hello. Tom seems to think you're loud. Try again. Hold on. Let me turn the gain down. Hello. Am I still loud? You're good. Might have been on our end. Who knows? Might have just now been I'm Tom's not. headphones. Mm-hmm. Tom says it's just his headphones. That's why I'm not the sound guy. <laughs> <laughs> Can you adjust your mic? How about you turn your headphones down from 10? <laughs> turn yours up to 10. Hmm. Um, whoa. <laughs> Can hear my own voice. That's very... I'm sorry, everybody who has to listen to my voice every week. <laughs> it, it, it is quite horrifying. <laughs> I'm glad this is out in the open. Hi, Sean. Hi, Derek. We have to talk about yarn. Okay. What is yarn? Yarn is a new um, NPM client. People are keep saying it's replacing NPM. It's not replacing NPM, the registry and the server part. It's just a client that basically is Bundler and some other stuff, as far as I understand it. It does have its own proxy in front of the server, though, yes, right? Yes, very interesting, right? But basically gives you uh, gemfile.lock for JavaScript. <laughs> so this is the... this is. Facebook's answer to your continuous rant about how shrink wrap doesn't work and isn't the default. Right. And their blog post that announced it, which we'll link to in the show notes. Um, I haven't played with it yet, so I don't want to go too deep on it. But the blog post that announced it, it was basically my exact journey and probably everybody's exact journey who's more familiar with something like Bundler, which gives you like deterministic deploys so long as Ruby Gems is up and running. And it was like, first we decided we were going to check in node modules, and then that got to be a pain in the butt uh, because the diffs were huge. I was like, yep, yep, I remember that part. And they're like, then we tried going to shrink wrap. And I was like, oh, yes, I remember this too. But shrink wrap is not like automatically maintained. Yep, I remember this. I opened up issues about this. So it's cool to see somebody take a swing at it. And talking to my coworker here, Chris Toomey, he says that several other people have tried to take similar swings at it. But for whatever reason, Yarn has the right backing. I mean, it has Facebook, so you know React is going there. And they lined up support on day one from, I don't know if you really have to support it, but they but they got um, like Angular and Ember and I don't know, all those libraries also behind them. I don't think there's really, is there really anything to support? It just uses package.json like Yeah, does. I mean, it, it sounds, I, th I think it's more just the people who develop it are are using it. Right, and encouraging folks to use Yarn yeah. for those reasons. Um, so we'll link to it in the show notes. I haven't had a chance to play with it, so I don't want to talk too much about it, but I was excited to see that and happy for... I don't do a lot of JavaScript development, but happy for the people who do because I think it's going to make their lives better. It's interesting, yeah. the proxy thing. So they do, by default, there's a proxy between Yarn and the NPM server, which I'm sure there are actual technical reasons for that. But the pessimist i guess or maybe the realist depending on how you look at it in me wonders how long that's going to be just a proxy yeah that that was my thought too it's it, <laughs> just because it's like why have the proxy at all if you don't have plans that involve it pointing at your own repository right because 
you know, Facebook is trying to make this stuff fat. Like they're really proud of how much faster it is. And once they get this client stuff, why, like, why would, why not turn to the server and be like, oh, we can make this more, we can make this whole thing more performant by controlling the server as well. Um, and right. responding in these ways. And, you know, if I were NPM, the company, I don't know how excited I'd be about this. <laughs> right. Excited because my users get what I think is objectively a better experience. I don't know. Maybe there's people out there who disagree with us. If you disagree with us and you're not excited about Yarn, then uh, comment on the website or send us an email at hostedbikeshow.fm or something because I'd love to see some arguments against it. Other than, like, it's just another new thing in the JavaScript ecosystem people have to deal with. Um, right. But, like... Is NPM Inc., uh, like... NPM, the client, is also separate from NPM Inc., right? And NPM Inc. is only the the server slash repository. Is that correct? Sure. NPM is a lot of things. NPM is the package manager for Node.js. NPM registry is a public collection of packages. NPM is the command line client. And NPM Inc. is the company that hosts and maintains all of the above. Okay, so they do maintain the client. Yes. And... I don't know. There's all, but we can link to about npm, which says has some stuff about npm Inc. and things like that. I don't know how it's run and what it ultimately matters if they don't control the client anymore. Um, but if they didn't control the server anymore, then there would be a real question. Right, that'd, that'd, be, um, that'd be some fragmentation. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. I'm excited about it. Excited to try it next time I'm on a JavaScript project. I know, like I said, I was talking to Chris today, and he's on an Ember project right now, and he's already. He's busy trying to upgrade to newer versions of Node, which should be pretty simple. And then he wants to turn his uh, attention to cutting them over to Yarn. So that'll be cool. One thing I noticed, I'm just I'm just poking around on GitHub, and uh, both Yarn and NPM have failing builds. <laughs> all the other package managers they link in their readmes all are passing. Yarn was announced yesterday afternoon and has over 10,000 stars already on GitHub. That's pretty impressive. That's not bad. <laughs> Tells you I, something. I would say that is a trending, uh, a trending <laughs> repository. Yeah, yeah. So for whatever reason, they got it right, I guess. Yeah, that's all I want to say about Yarn right now until I actually use it. But I would love to hear if people are using it and find it to be in some way uh, worse than the npm client. Yeah. Because I'm not super into that world, and I'd love to hear some people who are their opinions. The other thing I'm working on, which is new for me in my like director position at Thoughtbot, is. We're looking to hire somebody in our Boston office, um, a developer. And so we've, you know, posted the listing and we're starting to get applicants come in. And I'm like, for the first time in a position where I'm like the first line of like looking at these people and being like, do we want to move you forward or do we not want to move you forward? And, and deciding that. And then also like, we're trying to take a more, <laughs> I guess, recruitery approach. Like if we know people that are working at other companies that we would like to work with, like just reaching out to them being like, hey, we have this job. I'm actually one of the people hiring it. I'm not a recruiter. Just want to talk to you. Like, do you want to come in and talk to us about this job? So that's kind of what my time has been. I mean, not all of it. That's what I spent my investment time on. That's what I've been doing. Like when I wake up in the morning, I check and see what kind of responses we get. And it's really interesting because, like, this is my first time. I've interviewed people before and I've looked over resumes before, but I've, like I said, I've never been, like, chiefly responsible for that. So it's, like, bringing up all sorts of questions for me. Like, one of the things we do at ThoughtBot is we ask for a code sample, like, either something on GitHub or maybe you can zip something up and send it over to us. Like, I think what I ended up doing was zipping up some code that I wrote for my previous employer and, like, totally removing any sort of, like proprietary information because i was like what, what kind of message does it send if i just send you like a whole bunch of proprietary information to review <laughs> so i like made the point that i've scrubbed it and it 
I think I got it to the point where it would run, but I was like, this may have some bugs in it due to what I removed. And they were like, doesn't matter. What we're really looking for is like the shape of things and whether what, what it shows you understand, stuff like that. Right. So it's been interesting as I like go through applications. I'm like, yes, this person sounds like somebody that would be interesting to work with. Let's start looking at the code. And now I'm the one who has to decide, like, based on this code sample, whether or not this person is somebody who should come in for like a non-technical interview or technical interview or whatever the whatever the next step ends up being. And I find myself like really trying to fight like my own biases on style, right? Because style is so easily <laughs> changed. Like when I came to ThoughtBot, I did not write code like somebody at ThoughtBot writes code. I wrote code like I write code and ThoughtBot has a particular style and we're pretty consistent with that. And I, I did it slightly different, um, slightly differently. One of those. Slightly um, differently. <laughs> slightly differently so i don't know like now i'm like well what should i be looking at because that's the first thing that steps out to me like i'm looking at a code sample and you know you sent me a link to github and i pull up one file on github and it has inconsistent indentation to me that drives me absolutely nuts but it's also something where i could probably if you were great otherwise i could just talk to you and be like here's how you do consistent indentation and make sure you do that See, I, I, I think there's a difference between judging somebody on the style that they're using and judging somebody based on whether they are consistently using a style. Hmm, it's fair. And I like that you're making it okay for me to say if you can't indent, indent consistently. No, because it, it, it just shows if you, if you literally can't even just indent a file, it doesn't even matter if it's what, whatever we would call quote-unquote correct, right? Because different people have different rules on how to indent things. But if, if you can't just consistently apply something as simple as indentation to your files, it shows sloppiness and a lack of caring about the person reading your code to me. Right. Or possibly, like, what I was, what I was thinking is, like, what happened is they used two different editors that were configured in different ways. Sure. But, or maybe, this wasn't the case in the sample I'm thinking of, but... You know, maybe the case is you used one editor that had that inserted tabs and another editor that inserted spaces, and those were no, no. If they, if there's tabs anywhere, just just <laughs> flat deny, unless it's go, um, right? So well, uh, not in Ruby, I mean, not in Ruby. But like, so so what I was thinking was that. But then like, even that is pretty bad because if you send me a GitHub thing, like go look at the way I'm gonna look at your code, right? So I'm gonna look at it in GitHub. Go look at it and make sure it looks right in GitHub. And GitHub has like eight space tabs. So it's never going to look right. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, that's like, I'm trying to decide like, how do, what do I look at here to decide whether I think this person, like we, we say that we're going to review it for like tests. Does your code have tests? And so that's like something I look at. Does not have tests? What kind of tests are they? Um, we also say like, we're going to review it for whether or not you understand like object oriented programming concepts. Right. So like, what kind of things would you look at if you were in this position? Help me out. So first thing I go for is the God object. How big is it? How ugly is it? How much should they give into like metaprogram all of the things? Mm -hmm. I mean, especially the tests around that object. Tests in general, I think I look at more more often than than the actual code, just because I find test writing practices more. I guess maybe not more important, but at least as important. So I try to make sure I, I spend. I, I I guess the default is to spend less time looking at tests. So I over I try to overcompensate. <laughs> Anyway, other things I look for, I guess, would be like, do you have any classes in your models directory that don't inherit from Active Record Base? Right, and you uh, how much logic is in controllers? <laughs> no, <laughs> I'm okay, it depends on the it depends on the size of the application, really. <laughs> right. Do you have service objects? Your favorite term in the world. <laughs> right. Do they have objects? Yes, <laughs> that don't inherit from anything. Well, right. don't explicitly inherit from anything. Don't um, have a framework thing. Right. 
Yeah, and that's sort of where I've been at too. The other tricky part is like, there's a, we use that code sample when you get to like your technical interview as well, because that's typically what we'll go over together. Like, we'll be like, let's look at your code. Tell me things you like. Tell me things you don't like. Here's something I noticed. What do you think about that? Like, do like a in-person code review kind of thing. Right. Um, but we're also using it to judge whether or not like we want to move you forward at all. And I forget where I was going with that. <laughs> oh, so the where I was going with that is I have to make this decision. This this first pass through it is like I want to make this decision fairly quickly. Like I don't want to have to download right. and run your app to figure out like where the complexities are and whether or not you've added sufficient test coverage. Right. Well, we're, we're talking what fifteen minutes tops. Right? Yes, fifteen minutes is about what I would spend on uh, each person that I'm putting into like let's review their code pile. Yeah. So the ten thousand line applications can make that really hard. <laughs> right. They can, but. Or the hundred thousand. But they're also more interesting because it gives them more opportunity. Like so, this is where the the conflict comes in because like the bigger applications mean I would expect you to have found for the type of person we're looking for to have found an opportunity to do something interesting, like extract a service object <laughs> somewhere. Hopefully, they mention where where that thing is. Right. That's another they, really useful you thing. Look. If you're going to apply for this job, like tell me something cool. Don't just like send me an application. That's cool. Um, and maybe we should be more clear about this with the question, but tell me what I should be looking at. Like, tell me what you're proud of in that application, and I will definitely spend time looking there. And the other thing is, like, I will also go and look for things you're probably not proud of. Like, right. sort the files by line count and see which one's the biggest and be like, okay, let's go look at that. If you send me something with Git history, like, look at the churn. What's the file? I mean, maybe I probably wouldn't get into churn until, like, we were actually digging into the actual technical interview part where we were doing a code review together. But, yeah. I, I always find it interesting to ask about the code that they're least proud of and then see if like based on things like just line counter git churn if you can find things that like very clearly they're sending you the thing that they're actually pretty okay with to avoid uh to avoid <laughs> showing code that they're not actually proud of yeah i don't know i mean i don't want to get into asking for too much code because i do think it's really hard for a lot of people to supply a project for you to look over Right. Well, because you um, have to have built a Rails application in some context so that you can show it or spend the time to scrub it. Right. And it should be mostly your work. Right. Right. <laughs> so like I was in a situation in my last company where I was the only person working on a Rails application. So I scrubbed it of what I thought was proprietary information and submitted that. But if I had been working with three or four other people, it would be hard. Yeah. So like I think it's also totally OK to send like a file or a couple of files um, particularly at that first pass level. Whereas at the second pass, when we're going to do like a technical code review about something, that doesn't necessarily, like, it's best if it's your code, but it doesn't even necessarily have to be your code. It could just be like, I found this code on the internet. Let's read through it and review it together. And like, let's see what you think of it. And I'll ask you questions about it and I'll see what you like and what you don't like and we'll talk about it um, as if we're reviewing a third person's code, which is also kind of a pretty telling thing. So. I don't know. I'm just trying to work through all of the uh, permutations, I guess, all of the ways that I'm going to get this wrong. <laughs> Definitely yeah. trying to trying to avoid my first like instinct of like that's not the style I would write it in. But I think your point of like, can you write an a consistent style in some manner? I think is probably pretty good. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I know, especially if you're applying to a place like Thoughtbot, you should have an opinion on a style. Right. Yeah, which one it is doesn't matter so much, but you you know you should at least be able to to stick to something consistently, right? Yeah, and they and then like I said, the other part of like reaching out to people that I think might be interesting to work with and trying to recruit them is is interesting because like nobody for for whatever reason there's no group of people 
that hates being offered a job that pays a lot of money more than software developers. <laughs> like, <laughs> so have you gotten anybody who like? No, I have thought, not. Because there's a difference between what you're doing and sending recruiters, Sam. I know, but like, if you sit in our office and you listen to people complain about recruiters or any developer, any office with a lot of developers, you will hear people complain about recruiters, which is like, I get it. It's annoying. They clearly don't. Like a lot of times they clearly don't pay any attention or don't have any idea what they're talking about. But ultimately their crime was they tried to offer you a, what is likely a very high paying position somewhere. <laughs> like, well, or they tried to get you to go do an interview that you could have gone and done on your own that they will get some commission if you get hired. But they're not like, you, you know, you know, the, the agencies I'm talking about where they're not hired by companies. Right. Like they yeah. just go find sure. you and like I represent this candidate and actually put you in a worse position by representing you. Right. And oftentimes like back in the day where people printed out resumes, I would get stacks of those resumes from like my manager being like, here's the people I want you to go through and tell me what you think about them. And like there would be these weird like frames that the recruiters would put around their resume that made it look <laughs> even worse. And it was like, what are you doing? Like, so when I worked, I did work with a recruiter like that who happened to like reach out to me when I came to ThoughtBot, like at the time when I decided like, you know, I'm going to start looking for different jobs. Like I got a phone call, like we all get a lot of phone calls. Although I think that's lessening now because people just stopped answering their phone now that there's all those robocalls constantly. Right. Um, but I would get phone calls from recruiters constantly and I would just ignore them or just say not interested. And like I was having a particularly bad day and this one recruiter called and he was like, do you want to hear about some listings I've got? And I was like, boy, do I just shoot them. What do you got? <laughs> <laughs> and I remember sitting in the conference room at my last job, just listening to this guy pitch me on jobs. And I was like, listen, you got me on a good day. Like, I usually don't take calls from recruiters, but uh, a couple of those sounded interesting to me. Like, let's set, go ahead, set up some interviews for me. Cause like, I was just thinking about maybe starting to look around and you've already found some stuff for it. Like, so he provided some sort of value, Did which you take was a job? nice. Um, I went to like two interviews and I think I got two offers. Um, but were I they, took, were they, did they turn out to be crap jobs? I mean, they were good jobs, um, but I took the ThoughtBot job. Ah, <laughs> um, okay. And the recruiter was actually pretty helpful in like talking me through the options and like very clearly wanted me to accept one of the offers that came from an interview he sent me on. Sure. Which was not the ThoughtBot thing. ThoughtBot does not work with professional recruiters at the moment, which is why, you know, we're trying to get involved and do it ourselves so we don't have to do that. And so, but he was still very helpful in like the feedback he provided. So, um, he calls me every year. I can basically set my clock to it and asks me how things are going and if I'm considering making a move and asks me like what I'm seeing and like as far as like industry trends and stuff like that. So he's, he's actually one of the good recruiters, I yeah. would say. Um, he's, well, he's making an attempt. Right. Yeah. And he knows what he's talking about. Like he doesn't, he doesn't call me up and offer me like Java jobs. Right. Because he knows that, like, but he'll talk to me and be like, well, what about Python? Like, that's kind of adjacent, right? And, like, that kind of thing. And, like, last time we talked, he was like, what do you see happening with Node? And, you know, <laughs> like, just trying to get my opinion on things, which I think was interesting. And then also, like, now that I've moved into doing the director thing, like, can I send you people? I'm like, sorry, no, you can't. Well, you can, but we're not going to pay you any money. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, a lot, a lot of times, like, you know, I was in a, it was a, kind of a lower tier, I guess, of job. But like I would get resumes from recruiters every now and then and they'd be like actual good candidates that I would hire, but I just didn't have the budget to pay the to, to pay the fifteen thousand dollar recruiter fee. Right. Yeah. I'd be like, I can hire you. I mean that's always negotiable. Depends yeah. possibly. It, it just it yeah. wasn't worth it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean I guess that's a long way of me saying yes, recruiters are annoying, but like let's as a group of people in a career, let's let's simmer down about like 
the hate because if I try to I try to explain this to like my stepfather who's a truck driver, like he just rolls over and it like just like cannot believe it. Just like starts from like rolling his eyes and like, oh sorry, somebody emailed you to try and give you a job. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. I don't know. It's also just like when you know that you're just like one of 2,000 people they randomly cold called that day because they looked for anybody on GitHub who's ever committed to a repo with Ruby as the language. Right. And I, I had one the other day. Have I told you the, the job title story? No. So my job title is 10X Hacker Ninja Guru. You got to pick and it re- yourself? Well, no. <laughs> so I thought it'd be funny to see what happened if I put that on some paperwork. Mm-hmm. And it turns out what happens is they give you a, jo- uh, a work permit for 10X Hacker Ninja Guru. So I can't actually legally work in Canada as any other job. <laughs> so... Uh, <laughs> So you really got yourself you know, there. <laughs> yeah. So I got anyway, I got a, I got uh, some spam from a recruiter the other day, which like, you know, they've started skipping LinkedIn and finding my email address directly. And I keep my email address public on GitHub because people do actually tend to want to legitimately contact me for programmer things. I guess that's the other thing that really irks me is when they're going on GitHub to find my contact info. It's like, no, that's that's our place. It's not for you. LinkedIn is for you. It's the place where where we go to do work. Right. It's a place where developers can get your email addresses and also a stunning number of people who claim to be doing research on open source projects. Yes. (laughs) But you remember that you remember that issue on uh, one of the Thoughtbot iOS repos where a recruiter randomly came and commented on the pull request. Yes. And it was completely unrelated. It was about like looking for developers who can for the lamp stack. Right, and so everybody started replying with pictures of lamps. Yeah, it was pretty <laughs> um, good. Anyways, I got this email from this recruiter who's just like, uh, it looks like you, you've done some Ruby. That's cool, but it's all Greek to me. I don't know programming. What I do know is that my client needs an absolutely rock star Ruby on Rails developer. And I just <laughs> replied with, sorry, I'm not a rock star. I'm a 10x hacker ninja guru. Yeah. <laughs> I like that's your title. That's good. <laughs> good title yeah so that's uh that's my interview story have you had any successful uh recruitings um i will say only at this point that we have a couple of people coming in to talk to us that's good of people that we're actually reaching out for you reaching out to it's kind of astounding like the job ended up getting posted to like linkedin's job board and like indeed and things like that and it's kind of astounding the like low quality of most of the stuff that comes in like I, I've been in a position where I applied for a lot of jobs at one time, but I always tried to take at least 10 minutes to be like, what's this place about? How do I tailor what I have to them? And like 10 yeah. minutes, all it takes. Right. And like, okay, I'm going to eliminate this paragraph. And like, after you've done it a few times, you can reuse those snippets for various situations, but like just get like form letter stuff as a cover letter or, um, today, I was going to ask, do people still do cover letters? Yes, people do cover letters, and I find them much more interesting than, like, your actual resume. I mean, the actual resume I'll glance at, but I actually like to hear, like, what do you write about? Basically, tell me who you are, why you want to work here, and why I would want to work with you. Right. That's what I get out of a cover letter, so I'm hoping. And we actually ask, like, one of the questions we ask, we ask two questions. We ask for, like, a a URL to a portfolio or GitHub or something like that, and then we ask, like, what's it going to be like to work with you? And... If you can't take the two questions we ask you seriously, <laughs> then like it's just not going to happen. Like there was one person who I reviewed this morning who basically used a 
ton of profanity and was like trying to make a joke in the URL in the like the like show us some code field and it was like I see what you did here I'm laughing and maybe your goal was to be like so outrageous that you got me laughing but you're not gonna get the job <laughs> right and that, like that's the person you want in front of your clients right right? <laughs> right and otherwise this person's application was reasonable like i looked through it and i was like this doesn't feel like somebody like that's the other thing is like i'm looking through it and i'm like this doesn't feel to me like somebody i want to work with like i'm not like oh my gosh i we have there's a couple that have come in and i'm like we have i have to talk to this person because they sound like somebody i might want to work with but i'm also trying to guard against like this person doesn't sound like somebody that i immediately say like oh my gosh i want to work with that person but what the way I feel about that may not be the same as like some of my coworkers feel about that. And so yeah. like trying to give people like, okay, my first reaction is like this person's borderline, but like, let's go ahead and look at the code and see what, what that proves out. Um, and then in the code thing was a, basically a joke. So I got to be like, okay, well, <laughs> cool. Makes it makes your decision easy. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of similar to like in open source when a pull request comes in, and it's like, I don't really want this code, but I don't hate it enough to close the pull request. It's like somebody's got to just make the call. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's what I'm trying to do. It's just like give everybody anywhere from 30 seconds to be like, this is clearly you didn't read the thing to like 15 minutes. And I'm going to start reviewing your code and, and move you along that way. And then we have like, so so the process here is like we do, you know, we, we get your application. We glance at your code to see like, is this reasonable? And then we do a non-technical interview with somebody, usually Chad, um, where he just kind of talks about your experience, what it's like to work at ThoughtBot, get a sense for like where you are in your career, that kind of stuff. And then presuming you move on from that, we do a technical interview, which is where I think there's some interesting things about the way we do technical interviews here. I think we do them pretty well if you're going to do a technical interview, um, yeah. like a code-based interview. Like we don't do quizzes, like we don't make you write fizzbuzz or things like that. And we don't make you whiteboard things unless, you know, you, during the conversation you decide like you want to get up and like if you're the type of person who wants to whiteboard things, get up and whiteboard things. Um, but we ask you about things that you should have encountered. Like if you're applying as a Rails developer and now we get a little more polyglot. So we kind of have to like change the interview a little bit depending on who's applying. But like if you're a, if you're applying as a Rails developer, we're going to ask you about things like you should know what a polymorphic association is at some point. Right. And yeah. you should be able to talk to me about like why you used it. Like, I'm not afraid to say that we're going to ask you about polymorphic associations because it, unless you're actually familiar with how they work and where they go wrong and when they're when the right time to use them is like you can read all the documentation you want on it. But unless you've used it, you're probably not going to be able to talk too intelligently about them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I was going to say that's one of the flaws, I think, in ThoughtBot's technical interview is that you can kind of study for it if you know the questions, because most of them don't have a right answer, but all of them do have a very specific wrong answer. Hmm, I suppose. But like even so even if you do, right? So if you get the question right, like it's never just for when I'm doing the technical interview, it's never just like I'm going to ask you this technical question, like I'm also looking for your answer and then looking for ways to expand the conversation, right? Right. So like if you give me an answer that's like like you say several of them have many different answers, I will then start you give one answer and I'll start like going down that path a little bit and be like, "Okay, well tell me why I don't, I don't know. I'm having trouble thinking about a thing, but like basically trying to make sure it's not just like I read this documentation right before I came here, which I've lucked it. I've been the person being interviewed and been like, oh, I just basically every Ruby interview I went into, I read up on the methods in enumerable because I was like, if I know all of these, any quiz question that somebody's likely to ask, I'm going to come across like here are all the methods in enumerable. Oh, I know I need to call flatten. 
And, right. I, and I know that flatten takes an argument of like how deep to flatten <laughs> and boom, there you go like that. <laughs> and I read about that 15 minutes before I came in here, but that's like the whiteboard quizzy type interview, which is. Yeah, that's kind of, fair. But and then and then the other thing is, even if you do well enough, right, the third step is you're going to come in and pair on something. Right. And that's hard to fake. Right. Because I mean, it's it's also understandably people are are nervous. But like when I pair with somebody, I spend a decent amount of time trying to make sure like I'm going slow and not assuming that like they know my workflow kind of thing or trying to let them drive a lot. And it can take a while to get the nerves out. But after a while, most people kind of like settle in and it can become pretty clear, right? (laughs) That like you don't know what the next step is or you don't know what the problem is, that kind of stuff. I always hated being the person that people had to pair with when they came in for interviewing in the Denver office. Why? Because I was always working. I was always working on crazy projects that like weren't representative of their job. And hmm. so they like, hey, you've never done 3D rendering engines before. Cool. Come work on a 3D rendering engine with me. Yeah. Although I did have I, I had one person who came in that uh, it was on a day where just it turned out a humongous bottleneck was on this function where we had a list of keyframes and we had to find the first keyframe that was after a given time. And then I even plantation was like our main bottleneck. And the the array was sorted, um, but because the the comparison needed to know both the current, to, to know that you're the it's the first one after you need to know, look at both the current and the next frame, so it, it like the solution ended up just being writing a hand rolled binary search. It's like hey, hey. <laughs> you know those interview questions that people ask that you're like oh I'll never need this in my job. Hey hey, guess what we get to do. But see, that's a situation where like I wouldn't be like, let's write a binary search. I might say, let's write a binary search, but then I'd be like, it's totally cool if you don't know what a binary search is. Like, yeah. like I'll explain it to you, and if I explain it to you, it's pretty simple. So hopefully, you'll start to give us direction on how we should proceed. I mean, like, of course, you're of allowed to go Google things, right. right? Even in the technical interview, like when people say they don't know, like, oh, you know, I'm not really sure if it's this or that or whatever, I will ask, like, how would you find out? Like, right. I haven't done this, but I know, talked to other people at ThoughtBot who have done it. I think Ben maybe was saying this. Somebody was saying that, like, there's a computer in the room where we do the interview most of the time. And they'll just be like, here's a keyboard. Figure it out. Like, go tell me what the <laughs> answer is. Like, go look up whatever you want to look up. Like, you're going right. to have a computer at your side. And that's instructive, too, to see, like, what people, what resources people turn to. Because well, that's <laughs> the job at the end of the day, right? Right. <laughs> How do you find the answer that you need? Yeah, and I, I think that the like the working on complex problems thing is a lot of what when we're looking for volunteers to pair with people who come in for the pairing interview, a lot of people say like, oh, I'm working on something that kind of re- requires a lot of context. And I do that. I do the same thing. Like, oh, I'm working on something that's not really great for pairing. But like, what? Like, that's, what kind, of, that's kind of a lot of the job, especially as a consultant is being like plopped into a situation where you have limited context and you need to like show something for it at the end of the day (laughs) right um it's how quickly can you come up and how quickly can you contribute by asking questions like when i did my pairing interview i ended up in the morning i paired with josh clayton and we sat down and i was like please don't say we're going to work on factory girl please don't say we're going to work on factory girl because like it just seemed like i'd never looked at the internals of it and it just seemed like something that was probably going to be a mess like not a mess but like something that was probably going to require quite a bit of like architectural understanding to grasp and he was like we're gonna work on a bug in factory girl i was like oh great (laughs) and so we worked on like there were some methods at the time that you couldn't call on factories due to the way something something instance eval something something Uh, (laughs) okay (laughs) i don't remember i can find the pull request and link to it in the show notes uh that we worked on together but i just remember like 
just hanging on for dear life as he was like tearing through this code base. And he's, you know, good about answering my questions and stuff. But I pretty quickly, like we started out and I like wrote the test case, which was, he was like, here's the problem. Like in this situation, you can't call a method like this. Let's write a test. And I was like, okay, cool. I can do that. And then he kind of took over, like, I think it's in this area where we would need to fix this area, fix this bug. And so we dove into it together there. But like pretty quickly I was in over, over my head and I right. just kept asking myself like, what is it I can do? Because I can't write code here because I don't know. Like he's saying things and I'm only understanding 50% of it. And like, so I'm asking questions, but not to get to like 100% understanding because I don't think I'm going to get there. Like just being like, can I get to 70% understanding? And can I ask questions that like I think might help his thinking along? Or like he would ask a question, I'd, I would give like what I would assume was a naive answer and he'd be like, oh, yeah, oh. And then it would like spark another thought from him. So like even though I think after the first hour, my fingers barely touched the keyboard, like I still felt pretty good about the pairing interview once lunch came around. I had a huge yeah. headache because I was like just trying to like see through what was happening and keep everything in my head as he's moving through his code base he's worked on for years. Right. But I still felt like like we did actually solve the issue and I still felt like at the end I had an understanding of what we did and could like I could have written the commit message, right? Um, but right. all during it, it was like I was assembling everything from first principles <laughs> um, right. and just trying to ask valuable questions along the way. And I, I've never really talked to Josh about like what his impressions were, but obviously I did well enough. And like if that was his impression too, was that like I didn't write much code, but I asked good questions, which I kind of assume is what happened there. I'll have to ask him someday. <laughs> been here for four years maybe i could ask him that <laughs> he'll be like oh no i recommend if we didn't hire you i don't know how you got here <laughs> <laughs> did you um did you ever apply to pivotal labs no i i really enjoyed their technical interview because uh, they've written a lot about it they do the same technical interview for everybody uh you pair with a person uh, and implement a set in java Performance doesn't matter. It's just the API. It's test driven. And because you're pairing, if you don't know Java, the other person can drive 100% of the time and that's fine. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, see how far you can get on that in an hour. Okay. And so it's not a problem that everybody in the world knows what the problem is. Well, it's, a, it's an easy problem to solve, right? Like, because you just implement it in terms of array since performance doesn't matter. And so it's, it's a very easy problem to solve. It's more about the thought process that you go through the development, the, the development process. It's the little microcosm of what the because they have the same third step uh, where you go in and pair for a full day. It's just like a little microcosm of that. But um, and they do pairing 100 percent of the time, basically. Right. Right. So like they're judging your ability to pair. <laughs> well, it's or that. Your, yeah. Or your, maybe not your ability, but your I don't know. I, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, do you have the underlying skills? Like, are you a good communicator? Like that kind of thing. Right. Like maybe you're not used to pairing, but you ask good questions, that kind of thing. And and the thing I uh, liked about it is that there are a specific set of things that you can look for because it's just the sort of problem where it's a pretty easy problem to solve. So it gives you a lot of room to just see people's problem solving process and worry less about whether they're going to be able to solve the problem. Then it, there's also just very distinct benchmarks that you can look for yeah that makes sense so they have a they have a specific grading system that they use for it because they give it to everybody so they have a good idea of where people land on it yeah i don't know i, th I, th I thought it was a well-designed technical interview right it's also why i like the thoughtbot technical interview it's different but it's consistent yes and so i get an idea of a benchmark over time having given it a number of times i mean i it's not like i've given it a ton of times i've given it i don't know 15 20 times maybe 
And that includes like sometimes when we have engagements with clients who are trying to hire, they'll ask us to help us hire. So I will give the same interview there. Right. And, and like I said, sometimes maybe people know the questions because it changes very infrequently, but they don't know where we're going to take the questions after we start asking them. It's interesting. The other thing that came to mind when we were talking about the pairing interview, Caleb Thompson, one of my coworkers here, had a thing where he was basically like, if in the span of like the three hours I work with you, because we typically will do a full day pairing, but it's like, you'll pair with somebody in the morning, you'll eat lunch with the whole team, you'll pair with somebody in the afternoon. So like three hours with each person or so. And so if the if in the span of three hours you haven't taught him anything, then he's like thumbs down on you. Which at first I was like, that's pretty harsh. And he was like, I don't mean you've taught me something about code. It can be anything, like literally anything. I spent three hours with you. Did I learn anything interesting? Like it could be right. an editor trick. It could be something Ruby you didn't know Ruby did or something you didn't know Rails did. Or it could just be something about anything. <laughs> like like <laughs> this person's really into rock climbing and they taught me X, right? At least like... There's somebody you want to work with. Right. And they, and they can teach. And that it reminded me of a question that I got asked when I was interviewing at EMC for an internship when I was in college and it was like the the person was like what do you like to do outside of work and I was like oh I umpired baseball for a long time I'm still doing that occasionally and like I do these other things he's like oh baseball okay cool I know I, I'm, a, I'm a pretty big baseball fan he's like and you said you umpired and I was like yeah and he's like could you uh teach me like an obscure baseball rule <laughs> And I was like, uh, like what? And he's like, how about the infield fly rule? And I was like, <laughs> okay. And so like I taught him the infield fly rule. Which apparently, apparently if he knew what it was called, he'd be, he was just testing right, whether right. you he actually like, did that. Right. But I think it was just like he wanted to find something that I was interested in and just see how I – I mean maybe he didn't. Maybe he didn't actually know baseball and he was just BSing me and he just wanted to see how I would teach something. Sure. But I thought that was an inter- interesting. And for a couple of years I used the same like – Back before I worked at ThoughtBot when interviews were like, hey, Derek, go talk to this person for half an hour and tell us what you think. And there was no guidance on like what I should be talking to them about or anything like that. I would just go in there and be like, so uh, tell me about your work at um, Paper Corp. What did you do there? And that, like basically I felt like I was asking the same exact questions that everybody else before me had asked and the people after me would ask. And I was like, I feel bad for this person who's going to be here. Like. We had some pretty insane, like six hours. People would come in for six hours and do interview rounds with people, like one-on-one interviews for people who are probably asking the same question over and over again. Yeah. So I always felt pretty bad about that. But I was pretty proud about the, like, I'd be like, teach me something. Like, what have you been working on? Like some, I remember one person telling me like they had just, they just bought a house and they were like working on slowly renovating each room. And I was like, teach me something that you learned in the process of the renovations. And they, I remember they taught me about how to remove and put on new wallpaper which was exciting. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But like those types of things, which you wouldn't even think are necessarily like, so that, yeah, where did I come from this? Oh, the like, teach me something, Caleb's uh, bar of teach me something. I don't think I have the same explicit bar, but it's certainly something I'm looking for. Like, did I learn anything new working with you for half a day? My bar was always, would I be excited to pair with that person again? Yeah, that's a pretty easy one. Or like, could we continue working on like that hard problem you were working on? Was like, am I sad that they're no longer working on this with me? Then definitely they should be here, right? Like, am I like, no, no, no? Can you keep pairing with me for the rest of the day? <laughs> <laughs> Shopify's process is pretty intense because it's sort of close to what you were just mentioning. Where if you make it, so I don't remember if we do a remote technical interview or not, but if you make it to the last step, the last step is we fly you out, and it's two full days, not like pairing, but just of back-to-back-to-back-to-back interviews of different, of a variety of of types. Like, 
the first one will always just be with recruiting slash HR. And then I'm assuming some of them are like to test your Rails knowledge. And I think part of the reason we do so many is because part of it is also if you all do like to have a bunch of different teams interview you. So that right. way, if you do get accepted, like we figure out what team to put you on during that process as well. But uh, just everybody I know who's gone through it says it is really intense. Right. I had a similar interview process with I did an internship at Microsoft. And that was a similar, like, you're going to do an all-day interview thing. Like, they fly you out, going to do an all-day interview thing, meet with the recruiter, first of all, and then, like, meet with different people from several different teams. Like, because maybe you're not a fit for this one team, or maybe you're fit, or maybe you're a fit for all three, and, like, you get a feel for all three, and you can pick, or that kind of thing. And that was when, I don't know if they're still doing this, but that was in the days of the brain teaser interview at Microsoft, where they would ask you, you know, brain teasers, presumably to see how you thought about things, like open-ended ones like why are manhole covers round which i mean the answer is because manholes are round um but (laughs) (laughs) but then like also like riddle type things that have like if you have um you have like eight things and one of them weighs a tiny bit more than the other and you need to figure out uh, the one that weighs a tiny bit more is poisonous and you need to figure out which one is poisonous but you can only make two measurements or something like that i'm getting it wrong but as pretty much the exact some version of that was pretty much the exact one i got in my interview with one of the teams and I had of course done homework beforehand to like read up on as many of these riddles as I possibly could. And so I knew the answer. Like when he asked me the question, I knew the answer and I was like, okay, I know this answer, but it's going to look real bad if I just spit out the right answer. (laughs) So like I very cleverly went down the obvious road for 10 minutes and was like drawing things out on a whiteboard where I was like, oh, okay, so you draw, divide them like this and do this, blah, 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 blah. So I went down that road for like five or 10 minutes and then like I very dramatically stopped and was like, oh, wait a minute, can I start over again? <laughs> and he was like, oh, yeah, it's your interview, do whatever you want. And then like start drawing out the right answer and like pausing for effect and being like, mm, yeah, okay, okay, yep, this, this, no. yeah, that's how you do it, boom. Um, it was one of my greater acting jobs, I felt. I was like, going to say, if this, if this software thing doesn't work out, it sounds like you got a good backup. <laughs> I was pretty proud. Like, I left that place and I was like, I think I sold them that I didn't. I hadn't read about that on the internet like a day before I came here. And I did get the job, so. <laughs> like, so a lot of people I speak to after they do an interview, they're like, oh man, I totally bombed that. But like, I felt like I've bombed every interview I've ever done. Is the same been true for you? No, I usually feel pretty good about them. Oh, um, okay. I usually feel pretty... There's only one ta- one case where like I did a phone screen for some company and then it was with the that the recruiter had put me in touch with and he called me back afterwards and he's like, how'd that go? And I was like, uh, you know, I just... I don't think I did very well. You know, they had to ask me a couple follow-up questions that I just didn't know and they were like... And then he was like, well, they loved you. They want to bring you in for an on-site interview. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. But most of the time... I guess I feel pretty good about it. I'm, I think the thing I'm always most surprised at is the first callback, like where I'm like, yeah. oh, I got my foot in the door. Like, cause I feel like that's the hardest part is like getting yeah. your foot in the door somewhere. But then from, from there on, it's not that I'm confident, but after they go, I've never had one go wrong. I can't think of a time where I got to like a face to face interview and didn't get the job. <laughs> um, right. So that's gone well for me historically, but I'm sure that's, not it's because i haven't had a lot of jobs and haven't gone on a ton of job interviews but um, i mean i think that's true for a lot of people yeah if you can get like i said getting the like i certainly had plenty of jobs where i got like the form letter like we don't have a position for you right now or like you don't have the experience we're looking for that kind of thing but generally 
I guess I generally feel pretty good about it. Like I felt pretty good when I left ThoughtBot. I was like, I feel like 75% confident I did okay there, but I'm not quite sure what Josh is going to think about my contribution on Factory Girl. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, don't, I guess I don't have that negative self-doubt thing for me in interviews, which is good. I'm super nervous for them. Like that's not to say I'm not nervous during them, but I generally, I think, have a pretty accurate perception of how they went when I leave. I don't know. I felt like even my interview with Shopify, I felt like I bombed. And that one was basically just people, a series of people coming into a room and telling me features they wanted in Active Record. <laughs> like, oh, I did so <laughs> terrible listening to those people ask me about what features they or tell me what no, features they I was, uh, Then I was like, self like, did I come off as too, like, dismissive or, or like, assholey? <laughs> or sh or like was i too accepting of features that they were actually throwing at me to see if i was properly analyzing <laughs> their features i don't know yeah i mean i guess if you if you get in your head i mean the thoughtbot one helped i really wanted the job but what really helped is i immediately left for las vegas i left from the thoughtbot office got on a plane and went to las vegas with like three of my friends so like i got to get that out of my head and then like on the flight home got an email from chad that was like hey do you have some time to talk so like I wasn't spending, I guess if I had probably spent all weekend worrying about whether or not I was going to get the job offer, I probably, probably would have had time to talk myself into the fact that I did terribly, but I was, yeah. I was excitedly busy doing other things. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I did bomb the ThoughtBot one because I got put on hold for like four months. <laughs> that might have just uh, been a timing thing. You never know. Uh, it's because I wasn't experienced enough for, because uh, I, I would have, if I was, if I had been hired when I applied, it would have been the second hire. Ah, and they wanted some more experienced consultants. Okay, but I don't know. I did have sometime last year uh, after one of my talks, I did have a person come up to me and was like, "Hey, I don't know if you remember me, but I turned you down for a job you applied for like four or five years ago. <laughs> How's it going?" <laughs> That's great. Yep. Another conversation people like experienced developers also have among themselves, which is related to the related to the recruiters being annoying conversation is the um, what would you do in an interview where you were asked to whiteboard the implementation of a linked list or something like that or, you know, to program on the whiteboard, that kind of thing. And and a lot of developers are like, I would just walk out because, you know, there's other jobs for me somewhere. And it's it's another one of those things that I feel like comes from a position of privilege where it's like, right, you are already in this industry and you have the experience. And yes, you will find another job. But like, think, think back to like the first or second job you were applying for in the industry. Right. And you basically were like, like, when I when I got the ThoughtBot job, several of my other interviews were like, I was actually asked to do FizzBuzz like on the board. And when I got asked, I laughed. And he was like, Oh, you've done this question before. I was like, No, actually, I haven't. I just think it's funny <laughs> and so yeah, that I know I mean it's definitely it's definitely a position of privilege uh 100 it's just like but at the same time like I do after you get to a certain point in your career you do kind of want to make the point that like look at my experience and where I've come from and like right. the past work I've done and the code samples I sent you and all this and like we're gonna talk about linked lists like well it's no okay. different than our ability to laugh at recruiter spam right Exactly. Coming from a position of privilege, that kind of thing. And really, the correct answer to the linked list problem is first making sure that they specify whether they want a singly linked list or a doubly linked list. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Just saying. I was involved in, an, uh, in giving an interview at, at my last employer. We, had to, we were interviewing for Rails jobs, and we were doing pair interviews, and the person I was paired up with asked the candidate how to sort an array, and he replied by calling sort. 
<laughs> which I gave full marks to, but uh, yeah, the person the I correct was, answer. <laughs> the person I was with did not appreciate. But I was like, "That's a good answer. That's perfect." Like, <laughs> well, it's like I appreciate code schools that teach sorting algorithms because the purpose of teaching sorting algorithms isn't to make sure that they know sorting algorithms because nobody needs to know these sorting algorithms unless they're actually implementing a programming language or the standard library for programming language, right? But it teaches algorithmic thinking. Right. And yes. so that's a useful s skill. But even then, the result usually isn't, like two weeks later, the result is not, and they remember that sorting algorithm other than maybe vaguely like the video of the hat dancers. Right. <laughs> and I remember like when I was in college, they taught all the different sorting algorithms and I couldn't tell you which one is the right one to use. Like it was useful to think of, like you said, it was useful to learn like algorithmic thinking and how if like you pivot the problem to look like this, then you see this solution more clearly than you saw the first solution. Yeah. That kind of thing. And there are some algorithms that's useful, like useful algorithms, you don't even need to know them, right? So I think binary search is a, is a perfect one, because that is one of those at some point in your career, you will probably need to write your own binary search. But you don't need to like have memorized exactly how to write a binary search. You just need to know what it is, right. and when it's useful, and that it exists. Can you recognize at some point, you're going to start writing this. And then when you start writing it, will you recognize like, oh, I'm writing a binary search. Right. And the reason why that's important is because then you can Google for how to write a binary search, right? Like, exactly. Then you know, then basically the, the thing is knowing the right shared name so you can have a good discussion about these things. Right. And like, that's why it's important to know the names for patterns. It's not because like doing that makes you a fantastic developer. I mean, once you get to a certain level of experience, like you, you will look at the patterns and be like, oh yeah, I've done that before. I didn't know it was called that. But knowing right. it, knowing it's called that is what allows you to have good conversations about them and like have good jumping off points and Google them and things like that. Yeah. yeah I don't know. That's what's been on my mind. Interviewing, job hunting. If you're going to apply for the uh, senior web developer position at ThoughtBot and senior web developers is something we put on the, <laughs> we call everybody here developers. I just said senior web developer because it's in like the um, UI for the position in the candidate tracking system we use because we thought it might discourage people who were not uh, well qualified to apply but it turns out it's I don't think it's helping <laughs> <laughs> so if you're going to apply for the developer position here I think uh, now you have some insight into uh, send me a good code sample and tell me what to look at and now you know exactly how the process is going to work kind of sort of at least as well as I know how the process is going to work <laughs> <laughs> anything else no let's wrap up okay show notes for this episode can be found at bikeshed.fm slash 84 as always, ratings and reviews on iTunes or Google Play are much appreciated. If you have feedback about this episode or any other episode, you can tweet us at underscore Bike Shed, email us at host at bikeshed.fm, or leave a comment on the website. Thanks for listening to Bike Shed, and we'll see you next time.